if you're here for the first time, I'm James. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're having a great, great morning, and uh, we're going to uh, open our scriptures together. Uh, before we do that, we have something that uh, started today, but it's running for the whole month that we wanted to let you know about, and we put this little insert inside of the uh, program you got on the way in. Uh, there's a local food bank that we partner with in a lot of different ways. They, well, I, I should say a local ministry. One of the major things they do is a food bank, um, but the, uh, they're called FISH. And they're a Christian-based group that actually serves uh, about 250 families every month, uh, which means there's 250 families in our town, uh, 250 homes in our town, and some that don't have homes, uh, or at least a stable home, that need someone to come alongside them and help them uh, take the next step and get to the next uh, get to the next place, get to the next meal, get to the next day. And so we're actually partnering with them. They do a big push in October. Uh, you'll probably notice that. There's like, it's a, a kind of a Saturday morning where they do a food drive around and they knock on your door early in the morning. We're actually uh, kind of participating in that Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. And we want to invite you to bring food here uh, to church with you and put it, there's a can, as you saw on the way in, we put it in the email and some promo online this week. Uh, But if you didn't see that, that's going to be happening again next week and the week after. There are some specific instructions, though, in here. And I want to tell you, like, when I'm, uh, I'm going to throw someone under the bus, but I don't know who it is. When I moved to this town, um, the church that I moved here for did a thing where they're like, let's fill their cupboards with food, right? And it was awesome. But someone gave me a case of diet uh, root beer uh, ice cream, like ice cream flavor. It's like, no, it was chocolate root beer. It was like diet chocolate, no name root beer. All right, this case. And uh, that's not the kind of thing I want. What's funny about that is it was a case of 11 because it's not the kind of thing they wanted either. <laughs> I don't want you bringing that. All right. <laughs> so don't be bringing that. Nobody wants that, you know, case of 11 that you didn't like the one. All right. Just suck it up, drink the other 11. You made the bad choice. You live with it. All right, um, but uh, there is, I, 100%, I only drank one. I couldn't do it, so then I donated it. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so there are some really specific instructions, some things you might not be aware of, things you might not think of, things like when you buy canned goods at the store, get the ones with the pop top because not everybody's walking around with a can opener. Uh, if, someone, uh, if you're trying to help someone that doesn't have a can opener on them or that might not be a part of, uh, their, uh, what they've got on them or in their home and things like that. Don't bring in expired food, all right? You might think, oh, it's still good. It's actually not, uh, like it's not legal for food banks to hand that stuff out, okay? So uh, we really want you to do a good job. Like, so you're going to go to the store and you're going to buy some things. Like, you can empty your cupboard and stuff if you want, but make sure it's not expired, make sure it's decent, and then go to the store and get some things. The Bible actually says, um, that what you do to the least of these, you do for Jesus. And so go and buy stuff as if friggin' Jesus is coming to your food bank, all right? Don't buy stuff like, oh, th- I know this sucks, but it's cheap. No, all right? Uh, and uh, you can buy no name or something. Jesus isn't a poser. He doesn't need your, your brand name stuff. Um, but don't be thinking like, uh, uh, please uh, believe in the dignity of people. People are in situations a lot of times uh, out of their own control, all right, or because of circumstances in their life, and we want to come alongside that and make a difference, all right? They won't ever know who you were, uh, but God does, and and I think that's kind of an important deal, okay? So next week, we're going to put this in the weekly email. If you don't get the weekly email, 
uh, write your email on the go pass and bring it to the go-kart and just tell them, hey, I need to be on the weekly email. We send out an email on Monday, everything that's going on. Um, Friday, everything that's going to be happening on Sunday was just, a, it's just, so Monday's like a, the bulletin, and then Friday is kind of a preview and, of what's going to happen on Sunday morning, all right? And you can follow us on Facebook and all that. You can get on texting, uh, all that. If you don't know that stuff, stop by the go-kart on the way out. Uh, write your information on your GoPass, and they'll make sure that uh, you get on that information because we want to make sure you know that. So we did our 10th anniversary last weekend. Um, it was the 10th anniversary of our church, and we were going to start a new sermon series this week. It's kicking off a lot of stuff. That's why we had, you probably saw we have a lot of things going on, a lot of events and, uh, and stuff happening, and this is just part of that stuff that's happening uh, as things move forward. There's still some stuff at the back table from the anniversary weekend that you can pick up uh, uh, if you are interested in that or if you're away and stuff like that. Uh, the, some people at the church produced a book uh, that is really, really fantastic, uplifting, the kind of book you want your friends to come over to your house and see uh, on your coffee table and read. Um, it's ridiculous quotes from my sermons uh, with nice pictures. <laughs> so uh, they're very nice pictures. But uh, we're just going to start this brand new sermon series. And this is a strange one for me because we're going to talk about the book of Colossians. And here's why it's strange, because a lot of times when I'm teaching or when I um, try to uh, kind of present ideas to you, I have like a plan, right? And the plan with Colossians is to talk politics, all right? Because um, I want to talk about politics before politics are happening, and politics are going to happen next year, right? Uh, I mean, as if it's not happening already, uh, but next year, you won't be able to watch regular TV commercials because it will be all politics all the time, all right? And well, maybe you're into that. I don't, maybe you're the one person that really loves political commercials, but uh, I want to talk about um, how Christians live in the political climate that w exists today. And, and maybe next year we'll do like a hot button issues thing or something, or I don't know, or, you know, we'll tell you how to vote. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I think I want to talk about, um, I think I want to talk about what the book of Colossians says about the situation that we're in, all right? I think a lot of times people want their pastor to tell them what to think, and I would rather tell you what the book of Colossians thinks and then treat you like you're a smart person and you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit and you have everything that God offers and the ability to think. I also don't think there's a right choice when it comes to any voting for anyone but Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want the job, all right? Like, uh, so Jesus wasn't an American citizen, so <clears throat> he could never be president, Ted Cruz. But... Um, <laughs> so we're going to talk about this book of Colossians, and I'm going to talk about the whole chapter one today, So I'm going to cut out a whole bunch of stuff that we're not going to talk about, and we're just going to talk about eight or nine verses in the middle of it, and then we'll talk about chapter two for like five weeks, and, and then we're going to spend uh, one week on uh, uh, like the end, all right? So the, chapter two is kind of the big deal in uh, Colossians, and then we'll kind of move on from there. Here's... Uh, and you, you might recognize this. Here's what happened in Coloss, all right? Uh, this guy named Paul, who's a major leader in the very early church, goes through the region, starts churches. He never actually goes to the city of Coloss because the city of Coloss used to be a great city and kind of was on the decline. Like it used to be one of the leading communities. It used to be one of the leading regions, but it was kind of used to be. 
It used to be the country that everybody looked to, and now kind of all the other countries are doing their own thing. Uh, but this is in a city kind of way. There is this former glory that Colossus was experiencing. The rest of the world had kind of caught up to them, and they were unsure of their role in, a, in their communities or in their community of communities. At the same time, there's a religious shift that's happening. Uh, this religious shift uh, is this emergence of Christianity, which seems like something that came out of the Jewish faith, but is allowing non-Jews to participate in it. And when you start to allow the, that non-Jewish participation, it stopped being like a, an expansion of Judaism and started taking on some different ideas. You can imagine a person who was completely uh, like ignorant of God of the Bible, Yahweh God, and had followed uh, uh, this God or that God that they had statues for and temples for in Greek culture, in Roman culture. Now they're supposed to follow an invisible God with no statues. And that was completely foreign to them. Like completely, completely foreign to them. How could you serve a no God? Or how can you serve an invisible God? And a God that you say your God doesn't need it to the temple. Like I don't need to go down to Jerusalem to the temple. And even if you did, the temple had rules. The temple of the Jewish temple had rules where only Gentiles can make it this far. Jewish women could come in here. Jewish men could come in here. Just the priests could come in here. And then like the, just the high priest. Like there was people, or if you had a disability or something, you were, you were excluded. It was all about exclusion. And the temple was set up to point to the holiness of God and the non-holiness of you. And so when we are starting to expand Christianity into this culture, they're starting to, they don't understand the holiness of the invisible God because they have the commonness of their local God. And so this, because of the physical realities and the non-physical realities, if you're into smart words, uh, they're dealing with a heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism says that there is a, a split in creation between the visible and the invisible. And the invisible is good. It's high. It's lofty. The visible is bad. It's like a myth. It's not real. It's something that we should look down on. And so when they have this, Gnosticism comes about. The problem with Gnosticism is that Jesus came to earth as a real human being. And so God actually doesn't, like this Gnosticism, like we might think spiritual is better, but Jesus thinks being a physical being is the greatest way for him to show his love to the people. And so God doesn't create a dual society, the God of the Bible, sorry, doesn't create a dualism in society or a this or that or this one's good or that one's bad, but this Gnostic way of thinking, and just so you know, you're really smart, it's G-N-O-S-T, right? And so you sound extra smart because there's letters there that obviously don't belong there. Like this word was invented in Oregon. But, uh, but this, uh, what this does in this book of Colossians, oh, and on top of all this, let me say this, on top of all this, the Roman Empire ruled over the whole world, and the current Caesar, who was known as the son of God, like the, he was seen as divine. When the Caesar died, he went, he went to rule in the heavens uh, when his physical body died, and that kind of fueled the Gnosticism a bit, that way of thinking. He had died, and a new, young, hip leader was coming in. And he was into like 
artistic things, and he was well-read, and, and it was really easy to see that this guy's going to bring hope for the future, because the old guy was kind of stale, and the new guy coming was going to be great. And it, his name was Nero, and if you know anything about history, Nero did a, uh, like for the first 10 years, uh, there were people put a lot of Christians put their hope in Nero, and uh, then there was a tragedy that happened in the city of Rome, and Nero needed someone to blame, and he picked the Christians. And then Nero persecuted Christians from the time of Nero until about the 300s. Uh, it just kind of kicked off in a way that uh, it, it was incredibly violent and brutal and, and systematic, that uh, Nero was the beginning of a uh, seek out and torture and destroy Christians' mission of the Roman Empire. But when he came in, everybody thought he was hip, and he was the guy who could offer me a better future. But do you kind of recognize any of this? The situation that Coloss was in is the situation that we're in. A religious, um, the religious just kind of situation that our Western society in, is in is changing, and changing rapidly. And not just changing as far as like growing in secularization, there are offshoots of Christianity and offshoots of other faiths that are growing in prominence and gaining prominence. People believe things that are not Orthodox Christianity and run with that. And we have other religions and other faiths that come from that. And there's this religious marketplace that has developed that's shifted from the way that Western society uh, followed a dominantly Christian view. And good or bad, this is the situation that we're in. Plus this increasing secularization, which means uh, more and more people don't believe that the divine has anything to do with their life, this kind of affects uh, the way that people see the world and the way that we as Christians experience the gospel. I mean, you can say a Christian today is the same as a Christian 50 years ago, is the same as a Christian 500 years ago, but your experience of life changes. There's thousands today thousands of advertising messages that you will receive that tell you how to live every day. We're driving down the street, you'll see billboards, you'll see um, uh, bumper stickers, you'll hear ads on your radio. If, if you're driving, you'll have to listen to the ads on your podcast because you can't hit your phone because that's against the law. <sighs> but there is like messages, you turn on your television, you turn on your internet, things pop up all the time, all the time, all the time, are telling you how to live, how to live, how to live. And so you find this following Jesus creates a subversiveness in you where you don't live the way that everyone else lives. And it's a strange kind of subversiveness because you don't think of yourself like, uh, when you live in your neighborhood, you don't think of yourself as the most rebellious person in your neighborhood. You don't think everyone's here, but secretly, I'm in this like KGB style thing that nobody knows about where I live differently. And at night, I close my eyes and talk to an invisible God. Okay, y'all don't find the irony in that. So your friends do. <laughs> your friends <laughs> who are living in a secularized culture will find it increasingly strange that you believe in an invisible God, that you believe in a God that's somewhere, that is everywhere, that's hard to pin down. And you close your eyes and you talk to him. Sometimes you go into a room 
with a lot of other people and sing songs to him. But he's not there, but he is there. He's just invisible. Y'all have never talked to your friends about God? (laughs) This is what it sounds like to your friends. This is what it sounds like in an increasingly secularized culture. But in that culture, while they've given up on God, while they've given up on religions having something to offer the world, while they've sought other religions, the thing that remains it is a desire and a hope for a better future. There's no one, no matter your religious beliefs, that hopes that, that, hopes that the world gets worse. Even, even people that do chaotic terrorist acts are hoping that their vision of a better future comes about through the evil that they're, perp- that they're doing, that they're perpetrating. Oh, I can't say that word. Uh, there is uh, still something in us that God has put there that hopes the world's going to get better. This is why uh, you'll notice that we, people put their hope in sports teams. Because if my sports team does good, like say scores two touchdowns, just two. The other team is scoring two a quarter. It'd be nice if we could score two, for crying out loud. (laughs) But we put our hope in this that maybe I'll feel a little bit happier if something goes good for my sports team. Or if my band puts out a great song. Or if I work out enough that people notice Or if my life situation gets better, like if my income rises to this level, or if my savings hits this, or my debt gets down to a manageable level, or if I have a relationship with the right person, and I'm putting my hope in this, and my hope in this, or a relationship at all, my hope in all of these things, hoping that life will be better. And then sometimes life is better for a while. In fact, uh, I think we put this hope in our political candidate. If you haven't noticed, politics has become increasingly polarized and our leaders have become increasingly celebrityized so that we have leaders who are putting our faith and trust in that maybe they can change this thing. And there's maybe a little bit of change that happens, but ultimately, everyone ends up disappointed because... The person that they thought was Jesus, the person that they thought would bring salvation, and maybe not save them from their sins, but save them from the situation that they're in, it doesn't happen. Or it's found wanting. Or it's found to be, even if it does happen, you're like, once you have it, you're like, ah, this isn't the thing that I actually wanted. It is kind of a, I'm I'm from another country, so when I moved here, the guy that I worked with, we delivered furniture, listened to uh, conservative talk radio. I had never heard of conservative talk radio. We had radios um, in Canada, but I'd never heard of this. And and it was confusing me. I'm like, so what you're saying is they want to run the country the way they want, and they want all the other people to leave. How is that not a dictatorship? Oh, I can't believe you'd say that. And very angry. And I was like, no. and And I was like genuinely confused. In Canada, we have a whole bunch of political parties, and they're always changing, so we are much more creative in getting nothing done. You guys just have two, and then, so you're less, okay. So, uh, but where there's an increasing amount of blame and hoping in our politicians, and then we become uh, celebrities, and we put hope in them, uh, and we put trust in them for a future, for stability, 
But then we're shook. We're shook by things like, uh, like 9-11. We're shook by things like 9-11 shows that we don't have as much power in the world as we thought we did, not as much control as we thought we did. We're shook by the economic meltdown where the regular people had to bail out the rich people because if the rich people failed, the whole system, this is what I was, I was told, the whole system falls apart. There's a confusion when our political saviors do take office. And then when they're finished and we think, did, the, did they achieve the thing that we hoped? Did they achieve the thing that, the, the reason that we voted for them? And you find out, not quite, because they can't change hearts. When we are in this kind of situation, it's an easy thing for Christians to get together and say, this is how we vote, and this is how we affect the system, and this is how we do these things. What I'm hoping that we read into the book of Colossians is actually that the situation is going to increase exponentially, and the challenge is going to be following Jesus in a culture that's increasingly polarized, that's increasingly putting their hope and faith in a wider variety of things. If you go back 75 years, when you're talking about faith in Jesus, you were a Christian or you weren't. And now, Christianity plays in a marketplace that it doesn't even want to play in. When Christianity plays in a political marketplace, that's not the place that Jesus wanted to play in. Jesus actually resisted. They wanted to make him king. They wanted him to lead a political revolution, and he resisted it. Instead, he said, I'm going to show you how to live in this culture. I'm going to live in this world. So there's this side-by-side -side change that's happening politically in Colossus and here in our culture with a change religiously. And being able to navigate that is radically difficult. So the way that we communicate new ideas, the way that we communicate how to live is always the best way through art. And so Paul, in the middle of chapter 1, writes a poem. Now, for us, that's not very subversive. But in their culture, a poem uh, was kind of like a really memorable tweet. All right? Uh, so we're going to read this. Uh, verse 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 are this poem that's kind of like a song. Uh, and so like, there's a pattern to it, but it's in a different language. So it might be difficult to see. This is talking about who Jesus is in the climate that you find yourself. The Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all, to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We'll just, we'll back up. I'm not going to read verse 21 yet. This poem, which is given, it says a few things to the people, the Christians in Colossus, that are dealing with a religious shift and a political shift and trying to figure out how to live. The first and the big thing that you need to understand is that it says Jesus is supreme. 
It's important to say Jesus is supreme because when Nero took over, just like the other Caesars, Nero would create statues and put them in all the communities with inscriptions, create coins and write things on the coins that said things like, Nero is supreme. Nero is divine. Nero is the son of God. If the previous Caesar died and went to heaven and ruled as a divine, then you are, Nero is the son of God. And so to say Jesus is supreme in that culture is to actually say whatever the political slogan is of, of our day, depending on who the leader is, there's new slogans all the time, Jesus took that slogan and said, nope, you're actually not going to find that in that person. You'll only actually find that in me. Which is every advertisement ever. Like the classic thing is that like you, you are buying certain dish soaps because of commercials, because they show you how sexy those hands are. And you're like, if I use that dish soap, people would not be able to stop looking at my hands. All right? No, you don't feel that way? Yes, you do, actually. You just don't know it because it's the water that you are swimming in. You have no idea how important the dish soap is for you and how good you feel about yourself. In fact, you probably should do your nails before doing the dishes in case somebody comes by and takes a picture. We live in an Instagram world. That's a side note. If Jesus comes into the world today, he takes all the slogans that you're told will make your life great and says, actually, no, that's only true about me. Actually, no, that thing that you're looking for, you actually can only find in me. And there's almost a sadness to it because you see the world running around, running around, running around, trying to get to this preferred future, this great and glory future, and Jesus is like, hey, I can, hey, I can help you. Hey, I can... Oh you're, oh, you're watching another commercial. Hey, I can't help. Oh, you're looking at another ad. Oh, you're living that way. And Jesus is on the side trying to give people the thing that they're actually looking for. If Jesus is supreme, uh, then this is what this says is Jesus is how we know the invisible God. Jesus is the image. This is verse 15. Can you flip back one? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus is what God is like. Jesus is the visible image. And Jesus actually died physically and rose from the dead and lives in a physical body to this day. It's like an ultra-physical body. When the disciples saw him, he was physical and he had being. He would eat food and it would stay in and it didn't just fall out like a ghost or something weird. They saw him, but they didn't recognize him because he was something different. And his body was what we call like a glorified body. But Jesus is physically uh, a being even today, at the same time as being 100% divine. But Jesus is how we know the invisible God. So we don't need statues. We don't need images. We don't need to point to because we have Jesus. Then Jesus holds all things together. All things were actually created by Jesus and held together by Jesus. If Jesus ceases to exist, the natural order of things falls apart. And do you know when Jesus died, there were weird, freaky things that the Gospels record that happened. And it happened because the Son of God died. And for a moment, 
things broke. There was like earthquakes, the sun went dark, and in a strange turn of events, people who were dead got up and walked out of the grave. They just put them in rooms. Luckily, they weren't, you know, buried the way we do today. That would be really awkward. But there is this natural order of things that happens. We call it physics or science, but all of that, if we have repeatable experiments, like every time we do an experiment and the same thing happens, it's like, that was Jesus. Jesus is holding that together. If you're standing and you trip and you fall downwards instead of just floating into space, it's because of Jesus. So every time your team throws a pass and it lands on the turf and someone catches it, praise Jesus. <laughs> That's why that happened. And when you start your car and it goes and you move down the road because engines work today, praise Jesus. Because <laughs> that's why that happens. When the lights turn on and you can't turn them off to save your life. It's, we're going to praise Jesus. Jesus is the holder of all things together. And not just the things that exist, but he's the holder together of the old and the new. He fulfills all of the Old Testament, and he leads the church into the New Testament. He leads the people of God into the gospel. He doesn't say the Old Testament's bad, now we avoid that. He actually fulfills what it was trying to do. He doesn't say it's like evil, like having laws is not evil, but he brings that into the future. So Jesus is how we know God, Jesus holds it all together, and then Jesus finally is also the blueprint or the design for what it is to be human and what it is to be divine. Because Jesus is fully divine and is fully human, and holding together those two things of 100%, and we think there's some kind of weird conflict there that's difficult to understand, it's a mystery of the, of the faith. Because of that, when Jesus makes peace on the cross, he creates a path for humanity and divinity to live together again. Because Jesus is fully human and fully divine, can we flip to the next slide? The last verse says, he, no, 20, through him we reconcile to himself all things. All things are reconciled through Christ because Christ is supreme. And he makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. What's the thing that everybody's looking for? Peace. The reason that you want to get to that preferred future is because you think that mentally you'll be able to relax. Emotionally, you'll be able to take a deep breath and go, okay. This is why you go on vacation, isn't it? Like you need to leave your situation and you go to like a, a Disneyland style place or a place with a beach and an ocean, a warm ocean, preferably, and you stop and you just breathe and you're like, I can just Take a second. That peace is actually the experience of Jesus in your life. What this means is this doesn't just exist in a Disneyland-style place or on a beach or on a vacation. To live subversive in the suburbs actually means to be able to breathe because Jesus has brought peace to your life. Even though the entire situation of your life, your circumstances around you might point to something else, like you should be stressed, 
you should be worried, you should be nervous, you should be anxious about the things that are going on and not going on that could potentially go on. And in the midst of that, you have a calmness about you. So we're leading into the next election, and the question will be, how do you spot the Christians? And the Christians should be the ones who are saying, no matter how this goes, uh, Jesus reconciled all things to himself, whether things on heaven or things on earth, whether things in middle America or things on the coast, whether things in D.C. or things way out here where nobody even remembers we're here, whether it's things in Salem or it's things in the rest of Oregon, Jesus reconciles all things to himself. He makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus creates the ability for you to live a calm life even though the chaos is surrounding you. He creates um, the necessary ingredients for you to live reconciled, for you to, as a human, have an interaction with the divine that brings an incredible amount of peace into your life. This is what the closing verses are about, verse 21, 22, and 23. This is what that peace looks like. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies of God in your minds because of, or other Bibles say, evidenced by your behavior, other English translations. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And if you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, who wrote this letter originally, have become a servant. It actually says you were once away from God, an outsider, opposed to God. And this is true of you, and it was evidenced by your behavior, by the way you lived, by your actions. And it defines those as being evil. But now, you've been reconciled through Christ's physical body to be presented holy. If you think about a people who live in a temple society, a temple society where we have the high priests, the regular priests, just the men, maybe the women, then the foreigners, then the people with physical deformities, and then everybody else who doesn't even want to go into the temple. And Jesus is saying, you were once out here. And for some of the Christians, this was their very real experience. They joined a faith. If you were a Greek or a Roman person from Colossus and you joined this faith, you knew that this faith grew out of the Jewish faith to which you could never be a part fully. And what Jesus actually does is invite you in to the court just a bit ahead of you, the court for people with physical deformities, and then you pick up all those people and you move into the next court where the foreigners are allowed. You pick up all the foreigners and move into the next one where, where the women were allowed, but no further. And then you lead a march of these rowdy women into the men's court because that's how that would go <laughs> yeah we're here now <laughs> and then these men who were told that there's only certain men among you the pastors let's say who get the full access to god well you're all brought into the full access of god 
And when Jesus dies, the curtain in the temple that split the holy from the holy of holies rips. And everybody's invited in. But you can't go into the holy of holies if you're not holy. This is why we had all these divisions. It wasn't because we thought they were bad. It was for their safety. You don't want to get too close to the holy if you're that unholy. And Jesus makes you holy in a way that brings you into the very presence of God. And if you want to understand peace in your life, real, actual, non-fleeting peace that's available by being holy. And being holy is available through salvation, which is provided for by Jesus' death. By the divine man dying on the cross to take on all of your unholiness, all of your sin, all of your evil. He takes it on. And when he dies, he puts it to death. And it no longer belongs to you. It feels sometimes like we want to take that back and define ourselves by those things. But what the scripture teaches us is that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you put your full faith and trust in Jesus, which is wildly challenging because so many other things, so many other people, so many other desires are trying to get your, not, maybe not your full faith and trust, but a little bit, a market share of your faith and trust. And when you put your full faith and trust in Jesus, you are made holy and able to live in peace because you were once alienated, you were once enemies, you were once looking for salvation and worshiping things outside of God, and now you're brought inside, presented in front of God as being holy. This is why we invite people all the time. If you haven't put your faith and your trust in Jesus, who died, who took on your sin, who rose again to create a path, like physically rose again, to create a way for you to defeat the death that's trying to take you down, to create a way for you to be in relationship with the God who made you. That gift is there. He provided for it, but some people choose not to take it, and some people choose to receive it. And so we invite people all the time to put their faith in Jesus, to receive the gift that Jesus created through his death. But then this scripture continues to say, if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you've heard and has been proclaimed to every creature. If you have put your faith in Jesus, the scripture actually teaches you receive peace in that as you continue to move forward in your faith, as you continue to move into the life that God made for you. So it's not like, a, well, I said a prayer when I was seven, so I'm good. I can do whatever I want. That's a, that's a bad representation of what Jesus did. What Jesus did was create a completely new and subversive way for you to live, a way of peace in a world that is increasingly chaotic, the nature of the world, the nature of evil, is to increase confusion and increase chaos. And in the midst of that is this people who follows Jesus, who's kind of standing usually in the corner, 
smiling because they have peace because they've been brought into the holy of holies through the death of Christ. This is what we're going to talk about. This is just like introduction day. I'm not going to talk about much politics every single week. So please come back. <laughs> or don't. But the, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to tell you which candidates are right and which ones are wrong. I'll tell you I have a statue of the queen in my library. <laughs> and you can, a very small one, but still it's there. But you can, uh, if, you, if that's what you're looking for, there's lots of places that will tell you those things. What I'd like to offer you instead, what I think, like, and honestly, when I started into this, I was like, I think that's what we're going to talk about. And when I read this, I think the message to Colossians, in Colossians is completely different. I can tell you that no matter what happens, no matter who runs for office, or no matter what direction the country goes, or what direction culture goes, the peace of God is real and actual in the midst of everything that's happening around us. And there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing that can take away the real and actual sacrifice of Christ that creates a real and actual peace in your life. That's where we're going instead. I think that message, like honestly, I think that message is more dangerous how you vote or telling you how to do things, eh, whatever. Lots of people are going to do that. But to say, everything around you looks terrible, but guess what? It's going to work out. That might be harder to believe. <laughs> Let's stand. We're going to pray. We're going to sing a song together. This is kind of incredible to me. Heather gave me a copy of the song that they're going to sing. And it's, it's like, and it's written by people in Australia, and it's like the people in Australia read the same verses in the Bible as me and thought similar thoughts of me. And this is kind of a song. If Paul wrote a poem in Colossians 1, this is maybe a modernized song version of that. And we're going to sing the gospel. We're going to sing the truth. Uh, and some of us in here need to hear it. And you're going to minister to each other. Some of us need to declare it. And we're going to minister to our own souls. And all of us are going to bless God through the declaration of his victory and his resurrection in Jesus, who holds all things together. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Jesus, for those of us in this room who have never put our faith and trust in you, we want to ask that you would move in our hearts in such a way that you lead us to do that, that you would cause us to say this just a simple prayer of saying that, that we want the peace of God and we want to give up our own way of living so that we're able to live into your way, God. For those in this room, who, for that might be the very first time or it might be the 10th or 100th time, if that prayer needs to be said, I pray that you would enable them in their hearts to be able to speak those words to you. And then I would pray for everyone here to be able to experience what it is to be close to God, the peace of being close to God. It's not a terror. It's not a, an, an afraid. There's a fear because of the power but in that fear, there's a peace because that power feels so benevolent, so loving towards us. Jesus, thank you for coming to earth, for giving your life, for rising from the dead, for making a way for us to be in relationship with you, for tearing the curtain, for eliminating 
anything that keeps us, that would separate us from everything that God is. Receive our worship. God, may you be blessed by this song today. Amen.